one of the things I think puts a lot of pressure on us is that we have to be the first to ever say something. Uh, you know, the idea that in order for what I'm creating to be valid, I have to be the first ever person to talk about this topic or say this thing. And it's really interesting because we don't think that about other, you know, art forms or other forms of communication. Tell you know, you that. don't. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn the f up. Hey, Welcome back to the Marketing Millennials podcast. Today, our guest is Melanie Diesel, the Director of Content at Foundation Marketing and the author of the Content Fuel Framework. Melanie is one of the best content marketers I know. I am super excited for all of you to hear this chat. Hey, Melanie. Welcome to the show. Hey there. How are you? Good, good. I'm super excited for this talk. I think Coming up with content ideas is super hard for a lot of marketers out there and creators. So I'm excited to dive deep into that. But I wanted to start with how did you get into marketing? Accidentally is, is the short answer. Uh, I studied journalism. So I definitely you know, thought I was going to end up working for a newspaper or a magazine somewhere and uh, you know, like uncovering injustice and things like that. That was definitely the, the direction I thought life was going. But I graduated into a recession and there were not a lot of journalism jobs because, you know, everything was downsizing and becoming digital. So I found myself with, you know, all these skills for interviewing people and, and generating content and nowhere to put them to use. And it was actually branch out and look at some of these other roles that are more on the business side. That's how I ended up in the marketing side. I love hearing that. And how did you gravitate to creating content, like content marketing? So that for me, that was just like the best, you know, the best place for me to take the skills that I had and put them to use. I hadn't studied marketing. So, you know, when I was starting out, I didn't, I didn't have a frame of reference for, you know, SEO or like paid ad buying or anything like that. That was outside of what I had learned in, in journalism school. But, you know, from my education, I mean, I was learning how to go out and find stories, how to frame things in different ways, how to convince people to share the most interesting information for you to share with others, you know, how to create and distribute your content in a way that's, you know, strategic and helps you reach your audience. So all of that, you know, just sort of rebranded as content marketing, even though I was doing essentially the same things I was doing, you know, when I studied journalism. That's awesome. And do you think that the journalism background helped you a lot? to be in content marketing because I've heard a lot of like content marketers talk about like how like especially Anne Handley actually mm -hmm. said this like yeah be the journalist background is how modern content marketers should be because they understand how to interview people and know their audience and take a story and that someone told and turn it into words so uh -huh. Yeah, hundred percent. If if the number of high level content marketers, you know, the folks who are out there speaking at conferences and and writing these books and having these big conversations, is any indication, then uh, a journalism degree seems like a really great way to go about getting into content marketing. 
I love that. I want to get into how does one come up with content ideas because there's so much content out there and so much competition now. Like, how do you come up with a piece of content that stands out that your audience wants to consume? There's so much that goes into that. But, you know, to your point, there's a lot of competition now. There's, you know, we're competing, however trite it may be. We're not just competing with other blogs or other videos. We're competing with email and text and, you know, mobile games and Netflix and everything else. So uh, it's important to to try to create something that's going to catch people's attention. One of the things I think puts a lot of pressure on us is that we have to be the first to ever say something. Uh, you know, the idea that in order for what I'm creating to be valid, I have to be the first ever person to talk about this topic or say this thing. And it's really interesting because we don't think that about other you know, art forms or other forms of communication, you know, you don't see artists saying, well, someone's already painted a landscape. So I guess I better find something else to paint. You know, it's, it's really about how do you put your unique spin on it? How do you use your unique talents to bring it to life? How can you infuse your own perspective to kind of make it a different telling of maybe the same or a similar story? And so that's the first thing I always talk about if someone's having trouble is like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel here. Like you have unique stories just by virtue of who you are and the life you've lived and, you know, the evolution of your company or your brand or whatever else. So you don't have to be the first person to to say some of these things. You just have to say it in a unique way. And I think that relieves a lot of the pressure of feeling like you've got to, you know, come up with some grand, never been done before revolutionary topic for every daily blog post, because I don't know who can handle that level of pressure. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people also feel like for me, when I started marketing, like marketing or like producing on Twitter or stuff like that, I felt like just because someone said a tweet that was kind of like what I said, I can't say it because I feel like I'm copying them or something like that. But if it's my opinion too, like, why can't I say it? Like if it's coming in a structured way, not plagiarizing but in a structured way that I think about it well yeah and the other thing that's really smart is if someone else is saying some of these things and you agree that's an opportunity for you to collaborate for you to quote a reputable source you know for you to take what they've done and build upon it remix it you know just like musical artists do you sample you cover you know it's there's there's a lot of value in bringing that star power together when you can yeah and I know you just wrote a book last year on content fuel framework could you go into like high level like what is the content fuel framework yeah so the content fuel framework uh the subtitle is how to generate unlimited story ideas so that's sort of the that's sort of the big promise of the book uh and the idea is essentially giving you a system for whenever you sit down and you need to come up with content ideas or you don't know what to post or you feel like you know all your content is feeling stale or repetitive and you need like a new infusion of, of creativity and inspiration, it provides you with a system to go through to, to come up with those ideas. So it breaks down to like a basic formula saying that every content idea is actually made up of two different elements. So the first one is the focus. That's what you're talking about. That's, you know, you're talking about people or history or data. And then the second element is the format. That's the one we're more familiar with, you know, how you bring things to life in video or written content, images, infographics, something else. So when you, when you understand that formula, you know, the framework walks through how you can combine all of those different elements, those different focuses and formats to kind of create this matrix of content that you can remix and use anytime you need to come up with ideas. 
That's awesome. What is the best way to start with like repurposing, remixing? Does it start from a long form piece of content or can it start from a short form piece of content and develop into long? Like where do like this idea of starting with like a, a piece of content turning into like a hundred piece of content? Like what is yeah, your framework so for that? It's, uh, so the framework will help you come up with an idea that could be brought to life in a hundred ways. But if you're looking to repurpose something you already have, uh, there's a lot of different ways you can go about that. So my recommendation, if you have the option, is always to start with something big or in-depth or whatever the case may be, you know, for your particular format, because that gives you just the most to work with, right? You can break it down into smaller pieces or repurpose individual parts of it. But yeah, you can definitely build up as well. If you do, I mean, we see this kind of thing all the time. You share a tweet and it goes over really well. You think, well, maybe I should make a blog post about this because I think people want to hear more about it. So you write a blog post and that blog post goes over really well. So then you make a, you know, a longer in-depth YouTube video where you're talking about this topic. And then maybe you then go and present a 30-minute presentation at a, at a conference or, you know, in a, a local event. You know, and then you get a book deal and you write a whole book about that thing that originally started as as just a tweet. So there's a lot of opportunity to build up when you have, you know, even just something as small as a tweet and just keep expanding it and approaching it in new ways. But yeah, if you have something big, like if you get to start with video, that's to me, that's always the best place to start just because, again, you get the most to work with. You've got visual elements that you can use as, as still images or graphics. You've got audio that you can extract and use on its own. You can take that audio and have it transcribed into text. You really can you can cut down that video into smaller, smaller videos. I mean, you really have a lot to work with when you start with video. So you don't always have the choice, but if you do, that's where I would start. I like that a lot. I think sometimes it's just knowing where to start with some of these things, but also like, what are some ways to test the waters with knowing what your, what your audience actually wants? Yeah. I mean, the best indicator of what your audience wants is going to be your audience's response and your, your data based on their performance. Right. So it's really easy for a lot of people in the marketing space to give you recommendations and tell you what your audience wants, but you know nobody knows your audience like you do or, or should or has access to data to know them that well. So the recommendation for me would be start small and just test test what's working. So even just the example we gave before, if you have a good audience on a particular social platform, try out small posts with different topics, see what gets more engagement, you know, see what gets whatever those key metrics are for you, whether it's views, likes, comments, you know, click throughs to somewhere else. And then just create more of that and test the audience's appetite, you know, with each successive post to see what their tolerance level is. You know, maybe they like three recipes a week, but if you push it to four, that's too much. You know, if you watch those metrics, your audience will sort of tell you with their behavior, with their engagement, their likes, their comments and replies, what it is that that's resonating with them. That's awesome. What are some other ways that you recommend for like marketers to come up with new ideas? I know like talking to your audience is one, but what are some other ways to spark that creativity and come up with new ideas? Yeah. I mean, one thing you can always do is take a peek at what your competition is doing. What you don't want to do is obviously copy that wholesale. Anything that you see someone else doing is obviously specific to their audience, their platform, their resources. So you just want to take 
take note of it, right? So if you see, for example, wow, my competition is doing a lot of educational content. They're doing a lot of tutorials and DIYs and walkthroughs. Well, that might be an insight you can learn from. You don't have to copy their recipes. You don't have to copy their tutorials, but maybe you should start creating more of that kind of educational content because it appears to be working for them. So I would always audit your your competitors and see what they're doing. The other thing I would look at is if there are brands or, you know, you know, if you're a blogger and there's other bloggers or you're a social creator and there's, you know, others in your space, look at the aspirational ones that may not be in the exact same vertical as you. So by that, I mean, just because you run an apparel brand doesn't mean you can't go look at a, at a spirits or beverage company as an example that you can emulate, right? So the brands who are doing awesome things that you love to engage with, what can you learn from the awesome content that they're creating? You know, again, not exactly as they're doing it, but maybe it gives you some inspiration for new ways you can approach it, you know, in your area. Uh, We see this happen a lot with like memes on Twitter, especially. So, you know, one particular account will come out with, you know, tell me, tell me you're an Eagles fan without telling me you're an Eagles fan and other verticals, you know, can take that form and remix it to fit their needs, their audience. Tell me you like Skittles without telling me you like Skittles or something, right? It doesn't have to be just another football team that uses it in the same way. So we could do the same thing. So look for your competitors first and then look at the aspirational, you know, creators, even if they're in a different space and see if there's things you can, uh, you can learn from what they're doing and ideas you can adapt for your own circumstances. Beyond that, I think, One thing that I always remind people is if you want diverse output, you want to be creating new things and sharing new things, you need to be consuming new things. You know, as as all of us have seen over the course of the last year or so, sitting in the same place, looking at the same things, and it it can get boring after a while, right? It's, It's hard to mix new ideas together if you're not getting any new ideas. So I always recommend... If you're, you're feeling a little stale, you feel like you don't have inspiration, then what I would do is, is try to mix up some of your inputs. Listen to a different podcast, watch a movie you wouldn't normally watch, listen to music in a genre you don't normally listen to, you know, read a book that's not normally on your list, just to get yourself some exposure to something a little bit different and see if that sparks anything for you. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I definitely am in the, the ballpark of you have to consume great things like it's kind of like your your information diet you need some good inputs to have good outputs otherwise yep. you'll struggle to come up with good ideas huh? yeah well it's like if you were a chef and you're working with the same few ingredients like there's a limit to how much you can innovate right like but if you go out and you find new ingredients to add into the mix suddenly the possibilities expand you know so that's that's kind of how i like to think of it if you are a chef and you're you're putting these recipes together based on your experiences, your ideas, your data, then the more input you can get, the more ingredients you have to work with, the bigger the chance that you're going to create something that's that's new for you and new for your audience. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I wanted to go into about how do you know like when to create a piece of content and how often should you be creating? Because there's a lot of like content out there that we talked before, but like the world doesn't need just another piece of content. When you're a company is creating like a SaaS company for B2B or like any company, like mm-hmm. what do you recommend like a piece of content they should start creating? Like what, what what's the thought process behind that when they should, for content that they should start creating? Yeah, well, it's it's really hard to know you know, wholesale for every type of business at every level of growth in every industry, like what the one thing that will work for everyone. The exception to that as a general rule, I would say, is some form of testimonial. So 
if you have, whether it's, you know, testimonials or reviews or case studies, whatever your version of social proof is for your audience, that's a place where you can start to sprinkle in some more storytelling and kind of, you know, take it to the next level rather than just doing a quote with their headshot and then their name, you know, who said this awesome quote, spend a little more time with them, really unpack what it is that they were looking for in a solution and what was at stake for them? What, what was hurting them? You know, what were the pain points before they found your solution and, you know, how much better is their life now with that solution really, you know, get into it, like have a, have a more in-depth discussion and tell a more detailed story versus just, this is great says Joe Smith, you know? And I think that's probably a very approachable place to start because I think most people have, hopefully, if you're if you're selling a product, you've got some version of social proof, whether it's case studies, testimonials, or something else, that you can sort of expand those, make them a little bit more compelling. And it gives you, I don't know, like a little appetizer of storytelling of content creation, kind of can whet your appetite a little bit, you know, try your hand at it in, in a more low stakes environment. And then once you get that confidence and once you maybe get buy-in from folks that you know, this new testimonial is way better than the old one, you know, you'll get, you'll get hopefully more uh, momentum and resources to be able to, to start to create content around other topics that are not just your case studies. It's so crazy how people underestimate like social proof and these content that are, your buyers are basically giving you a in-depth story of how they, what, what their decision-making process of buying a product, what were the pain points? Like why, what's the solution? And like you said right there, like from that, you probably can create content on around what they said their pain points were or Mm -hmm. like stuff like that. So I think that's a a great idea. Like, and going in, in more in depth than that is like, I think like a lot of marketers say they do this, but talking to the audience and actually like <laughs> understanding them will help you yield a lot of content ideas because that's where all the gems come from, like from where they're telling you from their mouth, like what their problems are or why they decided to buy your product. Yeah, exactly. If your audience is going to tell you straight up what they were looking for in that situation, then, you know, if that's data, you don't want to pass up. You don't want to miss the chance to to have access to that information for sure. What are some things that a lot of content marketers are doing wrong today, you think? Hmm. I mean, that's tough. I think there's there's kind of like two common categories of mistakes, I think. One is the person who feels pressure to be everywhere. And so they're sort of putting out little bits of content often inconsistently in a bunch of different places. You know, they're like sort of sporadic. They have sort of a chaotic energy and there's just like little bits and pieces going out all over the place across many different networks. In those cases, they rarely have sort of a single unified strategy. And when you don't do that, when you're just feeling pressured to create everything everywhere all the time, you know, you're going to burn yourself out and none of that content is going to be as effective as it could be if you were able to dedicate more time and attention to it. So I think that sort of like lack of strategy, pressure to be everywhere category is definitely a big one. I think, especially if you're a small team and you're wearing a lot of hats, that's something that can definitely cause cause some issues. And I think the other big mistake that happens often is, is sort of the flip side of that. So it's the people who feel too overwhelmed or I don't, you know, this newfangled technology, you know, there's there's some level of of obstacle for them, whether it's it's mental or or resource-based, that just they don't they don't capitalize on the power of that. And I think I like to use like your your local diner as an example of this, right? Everyone probably has this in their, their hometown. You're thinking of a, of a specific place. There's this little hole in the wall diner. It's amazing, but you know, 
it's not getting the attention it deserves, or maybe it's, you know, your, your hairstylist or, or some other small business. And, you know, you've tried to tell them like, if you just, you know, if you just had an Instagram, like people would come more, you know, if you just got on Facebook and they're like, no, no, I won't do it. And there's, there's like that resistance where, you know, content creation has been made to be so overwhelming and scary for them that they're, they're not putting themselves out there. They're not sharing their story. They're not talking about what's important to them and to their customers. And so without that conversation, you're missing a lot of opportunities to connect with, you know, your, your current audience, to retain your audience, to, to reach new audience. I mean, it's just those two ends of the spectrum, the like stuff everywhere with no sort of plan and the, I can't do everything. So I'll do nothing sort of plan. Those two, I think are probably the most common buckets that we see. I totally agree that. And I also believe like this happens a lot with creators too. Like they feel like just because someone just got onto TikTok that they need to be on TikTok and they are like dominating like Twitter, for example, and then they stop being as active on Twitter and go a new platform. And then they kind of average at both platforms, not yeah. good and good in one. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, if if anyone listening, if you need permission to pull back a little bit and focus your attention on fewer platforms, like this is it. Cons- consider this your permission to pull back on that and really, you know, get more bang for your buck by putting more of your efforts in one place. Yeah, and I, I think this idea came from like in marketing that you need to diversify like where your revenue is coming from because if a channel channel gets bad like you need another place but i feel like people think that it's going to happen overnight that you're just going to lose everything and you can just build like once you learn how to do something consistently i feel like you could do it on any platform you just have to learn the rules of the platform before you do it and definitely i mean we've definitely seen platforms come and go. I mean, you think of like Periscope and Blab and, you know, Meerkat and Vine. I mean, they, MySpace, like they, they come and go like the wind. So it's definitely a, a valid concern, but, you know, I think the, the bigger problem is if you're being mediocre in lots of places, it doesn't really matter whether it disappears or not. You're still not going to get the results you're hoping for. And to your point, if you're dedicating your attention to one or two platforms and one of those goes away, you can take those skills and build somewhere else. But, you know, if you, you're not spending enough time in any one place to really grow, you're not going to have results to lose. I actually love that. The way you just put that, I think that a lot of people think that being everywhere is the the problem. I think that the problem is that you're just being average to your audience every and then why should they follow you if you're being average? Like you're not giving them a reason to follow you. Um, Right. When does a a content creator or a content marketer, when should they start testing out a new platform? I mean, the the first question that I always want to address is like, do we actually have the resources? Because I know that there's that like shiny object syndrome, there's clubhouse now and there's TikTok and like, we want to be doing everything. We want to be on there. And that's great. But like we just discussed, you know, if you hop over there and set up a storefront and then disappear, that's not going to do much for you. Right. Or you, you know, you hop over there and you make one post and then you don't have the resources to keep it up. I mean, that's not going to create a great impression. Right. So my, my first question would always be, do we actually have the resources? resources to sustain a new presence, a new platform? Uh, And if the answer is yes, then you want to talk about what's the strategy and and how are we going to make this tie into our broader business goals? Because again, what you don't want to do is get distracted by TikTok is really fun and all the kids are, are loving it. And my nephew thinks it's cool. So let's make a TikTok. Now you're not only, you know, 
spending time on a platform that may or may not align with your business goals, but you're taking that time away from something that may be doing much better for your business. So definitely have to figure out the strategy first. So th- those are the two things I would say, check, check your resources, you know, make sure you can actually do this. I know we get excited, but check your resources and then check your strategy and make sure that it's going to connect to your broader goals. I feel like that's a big miss of like the broader goal and how to be consistent with your brand as well. Like I think people just, and also I think that a big miss too is that they think they could have the same tone of voice on like (laughs) the same plat on a different platform and it's going to do the same thing. Like that's also a big miss. Like LinkedIn has a different feel than Twitter, which has a different feel than TikTok. And you can't just post the same thing in all those platforms and expect it to do well. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because we know that in life, you know, we, we do this intrinsically in our own life. Like you don't talk to your grandparents or, you know, an elder that you respect the exact same way that you talk to, you know, your boss or your coworkers or the same way that you talk to, you know, your partner, the same way you talk to your buddies at the bar at the end of a long day. Like we, we adapt our tone, we adapt our voice to suit the context in our everyday life. So we just kind of have to apply that, that same thinking to, you know, to the, the, the content that we create, you know, what's the, what's the context that I'm showing up in here and, you know, which elements of myself should I be emphasizing or downplaying based on the context and what's relevant here? Yeah. That was a great analogy too. Cause like you wouldn't, people, I think people think it comes up inauthentic, like dulling down yeah. part of it, but it isn't. It's like, like for your grandma, like if your grandma's not that type of person and they didn't come from that, you know, not to speak like that to your grandma, like you would speak to your friend, like right. and, and you're not going to speak to your friend, how you speak to your grandma. So it's like, that's such a great point. Um, well, and every now and then somebody will be like, well, you know, my grandma's a cool grandma or like that, that is how I would talk to my grandma. And so I'll always give the, the caveat, your grandma or my grandma. You know, so like adjust your tone. You don't know what kind of grandma we're dealing with here. So you better be safe than sorry. <laughs> yeah. And also like, like it comes down to like knowing that, that audience, which is like knowing that platform, like, okay, you maybe could speak to your grandma like that, but that's an audience of one. Like yeah. what about the broader, all grandmas, would you speak to, <laughs> to all grandmas? Like, that's a, a, a great point. What is like... The difference between a content strategy and a tactic for people who think they mm. they overlap. I think this is like a big miss. Even in broader marketing, it's a big miss. Like some people say, like Facebook ads are our strategy. When it's like, no, that's not just strategy. That's a tactic in your yeah. marketing strategy. Um, yeah, exactly. These two. I feel like these two words get thrown around interchangeably a lot. But you know, at the risk of you know, to avoid going into too, too much depth. I mean, at the most basic level, your strategy is what you're trying to do and the tactics is how you're going to do it. So, you know, like you said, if your strategy is to leverage social media to reach more customers so you can grow your revenue in Q3 by 12%, then the tactic you use may be uh, using Facebook ads to retarget, you know, lapsed consumers or throwing an event to attract more customers or, you know, to break into a new market, those things that you do, those are the tactics. And if, if you need a mnemonic device to remember it, that's, that's what I do is connect the T. So things you do and tactic, they're both T that's how you can remember. And then the, the strategy is the vision. The, the strategy is, is what you're trying to do. Yeah. I love it. That's the simplified way. And I think one thing that I would also like to dig into is like, what's the best way you feel like, or when is the best way to like, 
simplify your content like to make sure like it's everybody like your audience actually understands it's not just like the one smart person in your audience that <laughs> would would pick up on that topic yeah so to our point earlier i think any of the you know the audience research that you're doing or gathering data on your audience getting to know them in focus groups or whatever else is going to give you a really good indication of you know their level of understanding of of different topics and their appetite for information about different topics but one really easy way to get around this is to actually just create content for multiple levels of understanding so you know if you are creating a, a tutorial or explaining a topic you know have a big beginner's version. We see this all the time, beginner's guide to the ultimate guide to, right? They're speaking to uh, the basics for someone who may be less advanced and or newer to the subject. And then we're speaking to the, the more advanced, the detailed version for uh, the folks who are a little further along that learning or that buying journey. So I think that's, that's honestly usually my recommendation. Again, if you have the resources to do it, I try to always acknowledge that, you know, not all of us are working with, you know, Fortune 500 budgets. A lot of small businesses or independent creators, you know, resources are tight. I totally get that. But yeah, if you have if you have the ability to do it, creating something that will speak to to both ends of that spectrum of understanding is a, is a good way to make sure you're not alienating anyone. Yeah, that's a great point. I also wanted to dig into like what happens a lot when content marketing is like, what do you tell like business owners or like marketers when they say like, like, I don't see the ROI on content yet, or like, this is not a revenue generating like activity, like, because it yeah. doesn't produce revenue right now. Like, what do you say to them about like, why they should invest in content? Yeah, I mean, I think, first, I would try to figure out like, what is their objection to it? Because I think that gives you sort of ammo for for going into that battle to to help win them over. I think, Oftentimes, it's a lack of understanding of of what content really is. So, you know, sometimes what they're thinking is they specifically mean YouTube or a blog post they don't see the value in, not content as a whole. So sometimes it's, it's helpful to like unpack that and say, well, you know, you're saying you don't see the value in content, but like you send out emails every day, right? That's content. You're creating email content, you know, or you say you don't see the value in content, but you know, you're really killing it on TikTok, right? That's, that's content. You know, you update your website very carefully. You're creating these, these awesome pamphlets and brochures to give out. All of that really is content. So it may not be, you know, back to strategies and tactics. It may not be content that they don't believe in. It may just be that that particular tactic, that particular format or platform that they have issue with. That's oftentimes where we start. But, you know, otherwise, I mean, I forget who said this originally, but, you know, what's the ROI of hugging your mom? Like, you can't quantify it, but you know, it's important, right? And I think when we think about content in the same way, you know, we're building relationships with our audience. We're demonstrating to our audience uh, how much we know and, you know, that we can be trusted, that we're experts. We're giving them a reason to think of us in between purchasing cycles. All of that has, has relationship building value, has authority building value. And it may not be quickly quantified in terms of how many sales did this one blog post generate, but how many more sales do you think you could generate if your audience really trusted you as an expert? Or how many more sales do you think you could generate if your audience understands what it is that you do better? How many more sales could you generate if you do a better job of telling people the results that you can get them by sharing stories of your past customers? It's it's may not be last click attribution to a to a specific piece of content or a specific post, but it contributes to that whole ecosystem where people feel like they know, like, and trust you, and you're qualified to to help them be a solution for whatever problem you're solving for. 
I mean, that's an amazing way to think about it too. I think like breaking down what broader content is, not just saying like, like that is very true. Like a lot of people are saying like, oh, I don't believe in a blog, but that doesn't mean like they don't believe in content. They just not, might not believe in blog content. Um, yeah. So broadening what content is makes so much more sense. Yeah. I would like to give you the next couple of minutes to talk about, I know you're, we talked about it earlier, but like where people could find your book also um, where they can find you on social or anywhere. This is your time to tell the audience that. Yeah. So if you all want to follow what I'm doing or catch up with me, share an example, ask a question, uh, you could find me at Melanie Diesel in, in most places. I'm, I'm the only one of me. So you'll find me if you look on your social network of preference. I spend a lot of time on Twitter where I'm at M Diesel. So if you hang out there, come find me. If you want to learn more about the book, which is the Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas, you can find that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, uh, all your favorite online book retailers, or you could just go to contentfuelframework.com and you could see all the options available to you there. And then if you're curious what I'm up to with uh, all my talented friends and, and colleagues over at Foundation Marketing, we're at foundationinc.co and you can check that site out and learn all about the ways that we help B2B businesses, you know, create better content, distribute it more strategically and establish a content strategy that serves their business goals. I love that. And you work with one of my favorite content marketers there too, Ross. So I yeah. love that. Ross and you are like a power duo there. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah, I love it. Well, thanks so much for joining today. And I'm super excited for the audience to hear this. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thanks for letting me share my story. 